Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. This is Dave. I am sitting with two awesome human beings that have become friends of both Rachel and I and who are awesome titans in industry, but also wired unlike almost any other people in the entire universe. And I say that in just the greatest possible way. Uh, In this idea of rising together, we're usually talking about things exclusively in relationship between your partner. But here I want to also just honor and acknowledge our guests, Tom and Lisa Bilyeu, for the way that they have helped us as a couple rise together in our building this business. Because the example that they have been to us or sounding board for crazy at times or how in the world do you continue to want to make out with the human that you are in business with has been an invaluable resource. Uh, if you do not yet know who Tom and Lisa are, number one, you need to follow them both immediately because they are rad human beings who are doing good on this planet. Uh, but they co-founded Quest Nutrition, built it from an in-their-house operation to a billion-dollar company as one of the fastest-growing companies in the history of the universe. I can make up anything <laughs> I want, truly. It's my podcast. Uh, no, it was recognized as a company that grew 57,000% at one point, being... I want to say the second fastest growing company on a list that Forbes? Inc., yeah. Inc., Forbes, they're the same thing as far as this audience is concerned. Uh, They were acknowledged for the speed of having grown a mammoth business uh, and have now transitioned into a life and world of impact as they have this audacious dream to build a studio the likes of which Walt Disney himself once created. So uh, thank you, Tom and Lisa, for being here. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having us, man. We're excited. So uh, I want to first acknowledge the um, massive difference that exists between your journey as entrepreneurs and uh, our journey as entrepreneurs, and that is that you've been wildly successful. No, that that is that uh, you made a decision very early on in your Uh, relationship and in your work around kids that uh, we did not make. (laughs) We just upstairs. We chose different paths, yes. We're sitting at a table upstairs. We're talking about the things that we're trying to solve. And in honesty, I'm trying to solve this like conversation around how to pursue everything that we have sitting in front of us opportunity-wise while I still am available to show up as a good dad and still stay married and in love with Rachel Hollis. And Tom was one of the first people to speak as he's recognizing in real time, like, we don't have kids. And that was an intentional thing. Will you talk a little bit about how you guys came to that decision and how 
it's afforded you the ability to do the things that you do. And if there's times when you question it or if you've just like, you made that choice and you rolled. So it's a decision that we came to slowly, if I'm honest. So for a very long time, we just assumed we were going to have kids. And in the beginning, being the good Greek girl that she was, she was like, you know, what are we talking, two years? And, and then we'll start having kids. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, you know, let's slow that roll a little bit, homie. Um, so I knew I wanted kids. I just didn't want kids that fast. And then the more we got into business and, and I was really going down the diehard entrepreneur path and she was still a stay at home, you know, we were thinking soon to be mom. And I was seeking advice like, hey, entrepreneurs, like, should I have kids? Do I not have kids? Like, how do we play this game? And I got this amazing piece of advice and it, it changed everything for me and she'll have to speak to what it was like for her. But for me, this guy says, Tom, look, have kids, don't have kids. It doesn't really matter, but whatever you do, do it all the way. And he said, for the beginning of my kids' lives, I was this entrepreneur that when I was at work, I felt guilty, like I should be at home. When I was at home, I wanted to be building my business and I resented the kids. And he was like, that didn't make sense. So it really got me thinking about, okay, whatever path I'm going to choose, it needs to be the one I'm most excited about being all in on. Um, because the, the easiest way for me to explain it to people is, um, one, I big brothered for a kid for eight and a half years. So I got a little taste of what it would be like, you know, to, to be that attached to somebody, to watch them grow, to be a part of their lives and how magical that is. So I was like, I really want kids, like really, really. I could write you poetry that would convince you that I know what it would be like to have children. And the only thing that I want more than I want to have kids is to not have kids. And so that's where I settled out. Um, for me, because Tom wanted to be an entrepreneur at the time, he's like, I'm just gonna go earn enough money for like a year, I'll come back and then we'll make movies because that was the dream, we're gonna make movies. It's like, okay, I'll stay at home, I'll support you, I'll put out your clothes, I'll cook for you because we looked at Steve Jobs and we're like, okay, he's clearly doing something right, how does he live his life? And you notice he always wore the same color shirt and he always said there's only a certain amount of decisions he can make in a day with clarity. So we're like, all right, babe, I'll make all the decisions at home. You don't have to think about anything. You wake up, your clothes are there. You leave for work, your lunch is made. And you go off and make the money, it'll be a year, and then we'll make films. Great idea. Um, that turned into eight years. And so for me, I had gone, okay, I can do this for a year. You know, I told myself I was gonna be a great wife. I'd been uh, brought up in Greek Orthodox um, culture. So it was, I wanted to be a good wife. I'm gonna support him. And then we're gonna go off. Eight years, you know, came around and I realized I'm miserable. I didn't want to be a stay-at-home wife and there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with it. I just hadn't consciously chosen it or I didn't think I had. And so that really kind of, um, made me realize like, what do I actually want in life? And when we started Quest, that was when I was like, wow, I actually really like learning. It was the first time I was put in situations where I was completely out of my element. And over time, as we were building it, I was like, I'm starting to realize who Lisa is. Mm. Not Lisa as Tom's wife, but who Lisa is as a human being. And that's when I started to think, wow, am I willing to give this up now for children? And that petrified me that I started to think and feel like that because I didn't want to be the wife that was going back on my word that I had made on our wedding day. And so is he going to be, is he going to think that I've changed so much and I'm not the person he married? Am I going back on my word? And that was really hard for me. But I was like, we had 
told us uh, each other that we'd always be 100% honest, even when it's difficult and even when it's something that, you know, maybe the other person doesn't want to hear. From like Jump Street, you had that? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, that is such a developed trait of ours over time. And truly, in the last two years as we've worked together has been a mandatory so that we don't let little things become misunderstandings that fester and mm -hmm. you know, rot inside of us. But we, man, we did not have that. I'm envious of you having had that from the beginning. Yeah. Well, the, the trick there was that when we first got together, um, it was, she was just a, a traveling student. She was a, not a foreign exchange student, but she was taking class here in the US. And so I was like, this is amazing. She's legally obligated to leave the country. So we can have a nice fling, it'll be amazing. And then she's gonna <laughs> leave again. And this will all be incredible. And then I ended up falling for her. And so I was like, oh man. So in the beginning, I, I had just laid it out. I was like, I'm not gonna pretend to be anything. This is gonna be some short thing. What does it matter? Either she likes me or she doesn't. And so I just laid out who I was, like hardcore upfront. And one, it just makes sense to me um, to be like that. And then two, once I realized, whoa, we actually are getting serious, I was like, that may have been the most important accidental decision that we made because so the thing you described, we call dust settling. Mm. So ah, it's one little thing, it's no big deal, just let it go, let it go, let it go. And suddenly your relationship is covered in all this dust. Any one little fleck would have been easy to clean off, but when it builds up, suddenly you just, you can't even see what's good anymore. And so we just thought, let's not do that. Let's make sure that we address the stuff head on. And, but that really means like, hey, do these pants make my butt look big? Yes, they do. It's like, yeah. that, that's gotta be the real answer. And my thing was to her, cause that actually happened one night and we had this real like, almost ruined the whole evening where she was like, what do you think about the shirt? And she had bought it and she felt so good in it. And I looked at it and I'm like, meh, it's all but right. But you said that when we were out on the date. Because that's so when you asked. Yes, that's when I asked. <laughs> and so I felt like, well like, I can't change now. And I, you know, I had dressed up for him and he's like, but you can say what you said cause it was more powerful. I, I just said, look, I know it is not fun to hear that right now. But I need you to know when you're 80 and you're wrinkly and you say, you know, do you find me attractive? And I look at you and I say, you look beautiful. Or you wake up in the morning, no makeup and your hair's a state. And I say, you look beautiful. Know that I mean it because I've never BS'd you this whole time. I've always been honest. When you look good, I'm raving. When you don't look good, I tell you. And not in a cruel way, I'm not mean about it. I wouldn't have said a single word had she not asked me, right? But she asked me a direct question, so I'm gonna give her an honest answer. And look, playing it back, I didn't realize being like nonchalant, like nah, it's whatever. I didn't realize it would upset her. So now I'd be like, you know, maybe it's not my favorite shirt or something like that. I'm not gonna BS, but dealing, being tactful yeah. uh, is, is always very What's wise. interesting is like, this is one of the, my favorite things about you, the both of you, is that you both, as much as, I mean, you just use the line, like you have ego, but it's not about like, you can't confront me with the thing that I'm not doing well. It's this like ego for wanting to continually learn and grow. I'm right. probably stealing your own words, but I love this idea that you've represented to us, this like no BS, what would it take? Mm. Which is not something that many couples are willing to really honestly confront. Will you just, at the highest level, what is no BS, what would it really take? I'll let you take. Um, so this, this started in business. So when your house is on the line, you, you all like pretenses about, no, I'm good at this and running the thing into the ground because you don't want to admit that you don't know. Like when your house is on the line, you're just like, yo, no BS, what would it take? Like, we really need a solution here. And it was about getting out of a, a negative mind space. So I think it was Larry Page that said, um, being negative is not how we make progress. 
And I thought that's so powerful. Mm. Like you can't come from this negative state of mind. So playing the, what we call the no BS game, it takes you out of all the difficulties, all the obstacles, and it forces you to be solution oriented. So getting into a solution oriented mindset, I, I am just fiendish about getting people to think like that. And so in our marriage, it's always like, all right, no BS, what would it take to navigate this, to you know, figure this solution out? Um, and, and we did that with kids. Yeah. And that's exactly when I was like, I have to address it. I have to tell him how I'm feeling. We sat down and we said, okay, what, what would be the no BS if we did have kids? And I had said in full clarity, I want to be there for my children if I have them. I actually don't want to be a working mum and um, and like have to be pulled in one or two directions because my personality is I go all in. And so I acknowledged my personality and then I was like, okay, so if I want to go all in on one, I'm not will I don't know if I want to give up this entrepreneurship that I've discovered. And so with the no BS thing was okay, I'd have I'd want to give up my career. And then with him, I said, well, what does an average Wednesday look like? Like, no BS, in your world, what do you imagine it looks like? And he's like, I'm ambitious. I've always been ambitious. You, when you married me, you knew I was ambitious. So I'm not going to be the person that's going to be coming home at 7 p.m. every night, putting the kids to bed. So the no BS answer is you're going to have to take care of them pretty much from Monday to Friday at least. And then the truth is he wants to be a great father. So he's like, on a Saturday... I'm gonna probably be with them and not with you. And so really laying out what our life would look like, like the no BS, not the fairy tale version, yeah. but like an average day would look like. Having that honesty, we both then decided we don't want. And then he didn't judge me for changing and evolving because that's what we encourage each other to always grow and be better and be a better person. So he never held that against me. And then he also said, the only thing that I want more than for you to take care of me because who wouldn't want their clothes put out every day, right? And have like that that wife that just takes care of, well. It was amazing. It was amazing, yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. She left out, not only did she set my clothes out for me, not only did she uh, make my lunch, she made dinner, she bought all the like items in the house, I mean literally everything to the point where I called her the CEO of Bill U Enterprises. So I was like, man, this woman takes care of everything. So like it, it was a real thing when she came in and said, I want to be an entrepreneur as well. And yeah, and he basically said the thing that while it will suck, the only thing that's worse than that is my wife not being happy. So good. He's like, so what husband would I be to be selfish and try and keep you in a position or keep you in doing something or having children when you don't actually want it? Um, but then the other part was like, but you have to let me mourn that part of you. You have to let me mourn and um, allow me space to um, work through this transition. And so for me, I was like, of course, like I'm, you have to mourn, like maybe we'll wean you off. Maybe I'll just do like, <laughs> maybe I'll just make you dinner for a couple of weeks and then maybe I'll just put your clothes out and not your gym clothes, you know? And so we really talked through that and gave each other the respect of being honest. And so, we were awkward as hell. Like I want people to understand. I know, yeah. When I say like, um, you need to let me mourn, it's because I was not handling it well, right? I was like getting frustrated and like, you know, what's going on? Like all that time and attention. And some of it's unconscious. You don't even know why you're feeling frustrated or being short with somebody. And so it was, you know, letting me mourn was also give me the grace to be a little bit clumsy for a second. I'm going to get my head right. Like I really do in terms of value system, which we've talked about before, like know your values and be a slave to them. So it's like one of my values is first of all, my marriage is my highest priority. 
what does that take to work? The person has to be joyful. They have to be fulfilled. They have to be living the life they want to live. And you just happen to be doing it together, right? No one should be unequal. It should always be like 50-50, legitimately for real. And I've got stories about how we've made sure that is legitimately true. And so I thought, all right, there's no way for me to hold you to the person that you were, the things that you said when we first got together, because I can see you growing and flexing muscles that you're excited to find that you have. And so, yeah, like from a value system perspective, even though right now I'm being a little clumsy, like from a value system perspective, it is very clear. I'm getting on board with this. Wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, I'm going to be there. I'm going to support you. Um, and so she gave that grace and it was, you know, a pretty short lived awkward period, but I just don't want people to think like, whoa, these guys really have it together. You know, it's like we, we go through dumb stuff just like anybody. It's crazy. I can't, I mean, like I'm trying to imagine this version of you because you're, I've only known you as the people that you are today. I'm trying to imagine like there's pictures of you holding the plaque that says fastest growing company. And it didn't just happen overnight. It happened with the two of you making this conscious decision to do work together. So not only are you transitioning out of this stage, but you're actively now deciding to do what I can attest in the last two years has been one of the hardest things that I've ever done. It most rewarding, but hardest, and that's working with your partner. Mm. How was it going now you're, yep, you want to chase this thing too, but now you're going to chase it with each other. How was it at the beginning and how has it changed over time? So from, we had discussed roles and we think um, laying out roles is very important, whether it's in your personal or within your business. And so in our personal, it was like, what are our roles? What is my role that you expect? What is the role that I want to play and vice versa? And in business, what is that role? And it was very clear, he's the president of the company. And so we actually had this um, talk where I was like, but what if... Um, if I say something that you disagree with, because I was running our shipping department and then I transitioned and built out Quest Studios. And I was like, don't worry, if I'm ever messing up, please make sure that you always tell me. If I'm not doing my job, don't give me a title I don't deserve. Promote above me if you need to, because I want to always know that I'm actually bringing my A game and that you're not just, you know, I'm not in this position because I'm your wife or because we're building it. And he turned around to me, he's like, baby, what did I say to you when we got married? My top priority is making sure I take care of my wife. So if my wife gets in the way of taking care of my wife, he's like, don't worry, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and so it was just so beautiful because giving, saying the words to give someone grace, right? To give him the permission that, hey, I'm not, I'm going to be okay with this was a big step, I think. And then also him being very honest with saying, don't worry, I'm going to tell you because my wife is more important than my business partner. Word. I, I love that story. So <laughs> how long from let's go chase this? Well, first, I, I mean, I, I just presume that people know what Quest is, but it's a, you know, you built a billion dollar business. It disrupted an industry that felt indisruptible. Can you give just a little bit of background as to like what it was that you felt called into the space for and how you decided to start it? Yeah. So I grew up in a morbidly obese family and, um, I guess even going back slightly before that. So my partners and I had a technology company and I was profoundly unhappy and I went in and quit just to give it to you in a real short nutshell. And they said, whoa, what would it look like? What would need to be true for us to keep working together? And I was like, well, we'd have to sell this company, do something completely different. It'd have to be a passion play. I need to be myself now. Of course, we'd say be authentic. Um, I want to build community. So all these things that were just like, it's not 
the money isn't doing it for me. So this has got to be something where I, I feel alive. That was my obsession back then. I feel alive. I need to feel alive. And so one of my partners was just so into nutrition. And so he was like, well, I want to do nutrition. And I was like, you know, I could actually really connect to that. I've had my own journey. I'd lost 60 pounds, kept it off, come from a morbidly obese family. So I'm like, man, I can show up every day thinking about saving my mom and my sister. And if that's the kind of food company that, that we're all on board to build, then we can set out to end metabolic disease. I can get behind that. You can geek out on nutrition. I'll get behind building this community and really saving people. Um, and so it ended up being this incredible blend. And then I sucked her in, in the beginning, she didn't really think much about it. It was, hey, we need some help, do you mind helping? And, and I was then, playing the supportive wife role that I had been for eight years kind of cult, um, molded into doing. And so she then, you know, got in and, and really did start to, to see like, hey, wait a second, I'm, I'm actually good at this. And there are things that I'm far better at than Tom. And so, huh, I'm, I'm feeling good about having a role because um, your wife, in fact, recommended a book to me called Rocket Fuel, which defines two very clear roles in any successful business. And that's the visionary and the integrator. So I am by nature a visionary. Lisa, Lisa by nature is an integrator. And so we, because we're not competing for the same thing, because we don't have the same skill set, and because we complement each other so well, it really was like, whoa, she's actually really good at this. And so then it was like just trying to give her space and to tell one quick indulgent story. Um, she was in shipping and again, sort of by accident, it was just like the thing that it felt like she could do. You didn't need a lot of prior experience. And then as we start growing, it's, it starts getting really complicated and she's staying up with all of it. And I'm like, how are you staying on top of this? Like, it's daunting for me. And she could ship the orders really, really fast. And so it was this one girl versus three other guys in the office. So we're like, we can do this faster than she can. Come on guys, like, let's rock this out. And she would literally just sit back and laugh because no matter how many times we did it, no matter how hard we tried, no matter how seriously we took it, she could just bury us in like second gear. And we're like trying. She would have to untape boxes that we did and retape them. It was crazy and just realized she has a logistical mind. She's just extraordinary. It's interesting because Rachel is the visionary. I am the integrator mm. in our relationship. Yeah. And it wasn't honestly until we read the book that I saw the same things that you saw. And mm. part of this kind of secret sauce superpower of our pairing is this thing. We're not competing for the same thing. We're leveraging our strengths and hopefully minimizing our weaknesses and in that complement, pouring gas. Mm. You know, it is in fact rocket fuel. The thing that he missed out though is that when we first started Quest, when he'd gone in and quit and they'd agreed they were going to do a protein bar, he came home and he's like, all right, babe, we're going to like, I'm actually going to start living the life that I really want. I'm going to do something that's going to make me happy. We want to do this protein bar. He's like, but if it fails, we lose the house. Because we just bought a house and we put every penny we had into making these bars. And we wouldn't be able to afford the mortgage if it went through. We also had to guarantee all the loans and everything, yeah, personally guarantee. Personally. So it was, yeah. And so at that moment, I just looked at him and I was like, at the end of the day, I bet on you. Mm. A house I can rebuy, even if we fail. But I never want you to ever be on your deathbed and say, what if? And I was the person that was that roadblock. And so when he was like, hey, do you mind helping out? Do you mind help, um, measuring ingredients from you know, our kitchen? Do you mind shipping a couple of bars from our living room floor? I just said yes, because A, I want to be a good wife. And then B, because I was like, I don't want to lose my house. And so as we were <laughs> These like- These people cannot box. They don't know how to ship. <laughs> yeah, like, Let I me do this. 
Yeah. And so as we were scaling from the living room floor, I was literally dropping them off at the post office myself, you know, and then we got to 10 orders in a day and I got so excited. And so they kept just saying, well, Lisa, you know how to do it. Lisa, you know how to do it. And it was purely out of fear of losing the house and fear of letting my husband down. Like that was a real pressure that I felt. And so that actually pushed me into learning more. That gave me the confidence to keep going. The more I was learning, the more confident I became. And so that's kind of so how I went into it. how do we make a pivot from, I mean, people that are listening, you may actually know Tom and Lisa from Impact Theory, from Women of Impact, from all of the amazing things that are happening inside of the Impact Empire, as it were. But how do you make this pivot from Quest to Impact? And what was the kind of driving force behind the decision to do what you are doing now? So this was having a master plan that took 20 years to execute against, but it actually worked. So no joke, um, right at the beginning of our relationship, um, I had met these two entrepreneurs who end up becoming my partners. But at the time, they were just two guys that I met. And they said, look, man, you're coming to the world with your hand out because I was trying to be a filmmaker. And they said, if you want to control the art, you have to control the resources. And so they had said, why don't you come with us and get rich? We're about to start this company. We need a copywriter. Think you'd be a good copywriter. And so I did. I took them seriously. And they said, look, you don't think of yourself as a copywriter. You can become anything you want. You just have to become the right person for that job. And so I took them seriously and worked my way up in the company. Um, and then ultimately, we end up, you know, as we just said, being equal partners in Quest. And so that ends up blowing up. But it really was. I was trying to get the resources to build a studio so that I could make films the way I wanted to make. Now, in my entrepreneurial journey, I began to, re I, we had worked with so many people in the inner cities. And when I said I big brothered for eight and a half years, it was for um, a young boy that had grown up in South Central Los Angeles, one of the worst school districts in the world, just absolutely horrendous place. And so I, I thought, man, this kid's extraordinary, but like he's being held back by being in a bad school district, by being around people that have the wrong mindset. And then of our 3000 employees, a thousand of them grew up exactly the same way, like hard, 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 like watching your best friend bleed to death in front of you, your father, uh, your stepfather getting shot in the head. I mean, just like the most horrendous stories you can imagine. And I'm like, these people are amazing. Some of them have more entrepreneurial instincts than I have, but I'm farther ahead because I had good advice when I was young, I got educated. Um, and so I was like, and, and I don't know if your listeners know this, but your zip code is far more predictive of your future success than your IQ. And I was like, I can't grow up in that world. That's not okay for me. So as we never lost, because Lisa is also a filmmaker by training. So we both were like, we have the same passion for filmmaking that we've ever had, but we have this new like found mission to make sure that your zip code does not become the determinant factor. So long story short, we focus on kids now um, because we realize what we wanna do is by the age of 15, no one should have failed to encounter a growth mindset. And how do you do that? You have to bury it basically in mass media. So music, video games, movies, TVs. We don't have any expertise in music, so that's probably not gonna be a play. Um, <laughs> but we both love filmmaking. That's our background, our, our first passion. Um, so we just thought, the way that humans assimilate truly disruptive information is through narrative. Uh, and if anybody's read um, Yuval Noah Harari's book, uh, he talks a lot about how the way even societies come together is around stories. And so we thought, all right, this is a really powerful way to tap into what we know and love filmmaking, which is also how we help blow Quest up by creating our own content and storytelling and all that, um, applying that to traditional narrative and create our own intellectual property, tell stories, do what Disney did, 
um, and really make something that's massive, but that also has tremendous impact. So the company is called Impact Theory because our theory on how to impact people at scale is through narrative. The great thing is you are so confident in your ability to pull it off that you will. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, I say that with respect because there are so many people that when faced with this task, this opportunity or challenge would think it too big or too audacious or too crazy or take too long or, or too, be too risky with money and would not chase after it. And you have the opportunity to do it and will because of your belief that you can. And I just, I want to honor that because so few people do. Ugh. Thank you, man. One, There's, please. I was just gonna say, one of my favorite quotes is, if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't, period. Really? I'm in. So one thing and this, the whole reason I'm on the podcast or any podcast for that matter, the reason I'm gonna make films and all that is to say what I'm about to say. I am middle of the road. My mom quietly assumed I was gonna fail when I left for college. Uh, when I went to ask for her father's blessing to marry her, he said no. My best friend growing up said he always just assumed I was going to marshmallow my way through life. Um, no one expected me to succeed. And what I want people to understand is the reason I believe in myself that I can pull this off is not because I think I'm special. I think that humans are special. I think that what we are designed to do is adapt and grow. And you need look no further than brain science to understand how the brain actually hardwires based on experience. So things that you do repeatedly get hardwired. It goes into what's called the default mode network. Um, so the, the brain responds to all the stimulus. So my thing is, okay, well, wait a second. If, if the human animal is by nature designed to be able to learn, take in new information, change the literal physical structures of your brain so that you can get better at something. And people get it. Like when they're kids, they believe it, but we stop believing. They learn how to walk. Yeah, <laughs> literally. That's what I tell people. You were born a baby. You crapped in your pants. You couldn't hold your own head up. You couldn't walk. And now look at you, right? Like yeah. no matter how bad your life is, you've come a long way. You can drink without spilling on yourself. Like you can go to the restroom appropriately. It's like you take it all for granted, but you had to learn all of that stuff. And so, yes, there's no question. It actually is easier to learn when you're a kid, but it is by no means even remotely like impossible to learn as you get older. So I'm like, okay, I'm actually not capable right now. If Bob Iger came and said, hey Tom, here are the keys to Disney, I would run it into the ground. <laughs> so my thing is I'm not the person I need to be yet, but I can acquire all of those skills. And so the thing I'm always trying to get people to understand is guys, I get it. Right now, you're not able to do that thing. The only thing that separates me from you is that I'm willing to take that first step, that first terrifying step where I'm like, whoa, I don't know what I'm doing. When we started Quest, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know anything about nutrition. We didn't even understand that water is the thing that makes a product rot. We, we were so shocked by that. But it's like all these things, you can learn them step by step. Just You just have to have blind faith that you can learn. And then it is admittedly a question of do you have the discipline to stick it out? And so the thing that... I will say I have spent an inordinate amount of time cultivating because I did not have when I was young. I didn't have until I started having shame around telling my wife I was going to make her successful and then laying in bed for five hours a day, which is a true story for mm. just a very long time. Um, and it started to develop shame. And so I was like, whoa, there's a gap between being ambitious, which I was having big dreams, what I call an empty dreamer, and then someone who has the drive to see it through. So I had the ambition. I had the dream. I built the drive. And so if you have the drive and the belief that humans can learn, then man, you can make your craziest dreams come true. You just have to understand you have to go from strength to strength to strength. Like you've got to learn that stuff and then move on and learn more and then move on and learn more. So you from my seat 
have a great relationship. And this is a relationship podcast. And I'm going to assume that there are things that you are continuing to learn about each other in how you pursue an exceptional relationship. Are there any tips or any tricks, hacks that these listeners would be the beneficiary of because of your having stepped in it and learned from something that you at one point weren't doing well and now you have figured out how to do a lot better? The thing that comes to mind for me is asking the questions, the hard questions. So for instance, one of the things we ask each other quite often is, what is the thing I'm not doing enough of that you would like to see more of? What is the thing that you thought you wanted in a partner that I'm not bringing to the table? Like the hard questions where you're really having to put your ego aside and say, I'm doing things wrong, how can I get better? Because a relationship is an evolution, you're always changing. And so if you're not changing together and always having those discussions, that's how I think couples end up blinking and it's like they don't know each other anymore. Yeah. And growing up, I just saw it too many times where people didn't know who they like the other person was, but they sleep in the same bed. And it's never you just wake up one day and they're like that. It's a slow progress, like what you were saying about the dust settling. And so you have to just keep addressing it. And so for us, it really is asking each other those really hard questions that you don't wanna hear because you wanna think that you're the perfect partner in every way, shape or form, but you have to sit there and be honest with each other. I'll give rules that we implement in our life, just some nice clean takeaways. So uh, number one, keep having sex. Like that's just like, you've got to schedule it, whatever you need to do, Agreed. that really, really matters. Um, number two, define words. So a word may have tremendous meaning to you. So like if I say to Lisa, hey, this is really important, but I haven't told her that when I say important in my head, it echoes with like the boom of God's voice. It's like, then she's not necessarily going to hear that when I say important, it means drop everything you're doing and come. I'll never abuse that word. But when I say it's important, that means whatever you're doing, if it, unless it is a higher importance than your relationship to your husband, drop it and come help me. Um, so we literally, that is one of the words that we've defined. And when someone says important, lit in, in we've been together 19 years, only once in 19 years have we ever had something where she said, this is important. And I said, in 180 degrees, the opposite direction, it's important to me once. So that has been just a, a saving grace. Another one that my wife has has just shown me is so powerful and she's so good at this and she will, you you do get enough credit from me, wow. but the world will, I don't think ever fully understand that this is like a superpower for you. Let it go, yeah. let it go. <laughs> like she never holds things against me. Like when I act stupidly, she just lets it go. She tells me, says, hey, that, that doesn't feel good, that, that doesn't work for me or whatever but then she lets it go. And so none of that dust settles. So when I correct my behavior, she's already let it go, she's fine. And then probably the most important thing, never ever, ever, I wanna eat the mic so I know people are really hearing me, never ever weaponize your partner's insecurities against them, oh. ever. They are going to, I have the chills, never, <laughs> like you're, you're going to get things from your partner if you have a healthy relationship where it's like, man, that's their most naked stuff. Like they've told you something they'd never tell anybody else. They don't like the way their skin folds around a scar. They, um, they, something bad happened in their past or they were mean to a puppy once. I don't know, what, whatever that thing is, like they, they will tell you, now you have ammunition where you could, you could hurt them, you could end an argument, you could win, you know, if you bring up that thing, like you could just shut it down. And in those moments, under no circumstances, never ever, can you weaponize that against them? Because that's how you lose trust 
And if you don't have trust, man, like this woman could, she could bring me to my knees at any moment by throwing my insecurities in my face. Dude, never ever. Not in the most heated argument so where good. I was clearly in the wrong. Never ever has she thrown it at me. There was actually one more that I remember we we never joke about divorce. Ooh, ever. So true. He even calls it the D word, kind of like Voldemort in, you know, Literally. Harry Potter. Um, because the, the second we joke about it, it brings like it as a possibility. And so for us, any problem that we have, it's always like, how are we going to get through it? Not if we're going to get through it, it's what's the no BS answer to getting through this. So we never even joke about it's, that. It's super weird how things like that can just sort of normalize it. You know, I, I, you're just being funny, but no, completely agree. We subscribe to the same thing. I also, I heard you once say, and I've said this myself, like, uh, I've always heard the old adage that you should like never go to bed angry. And I 100%, I think, subscribe to the same thing you do, which is like, go to bed angry. <laughs> yeah. Like when you wake up in the morning, you're fresh. You're, it's like, there's a difference in the air and maybe you have some clearer perspective on how to actually have a conversation that they can hear. But 100%. In fact, that is tremendously good advice, which I will entirely give my, in our relationship, my wife credit for, because when we start arguing, I want to resolve it. If it takes 18 hours, I'm not doing anything else until we resolve this. And she's like, I need to walk away. This is stupid. And it's like, finally, I had to realize, ah, yes, she is much better at this than I am. Never once have I thought, oh, I'm glad that we just kept arguing about that. Like taking space. And sometimes it's 15 minutes, just taking space, getting a different perspective and then coming back at it. Because sometimes I feel like when you're having an argument under emotion, you, um, at least for me, I'm unable to articulate clearly. I'm usually using my emotion as the driver, not the actual acts of what just happened and why we're arguing. So I'm just like, I just need time to walk away, get my emotions to neutral so I can come back and actually discuss what happened and how we can get through it. But if I'm coming to the, the argument just in emotion, I can't hear you sometimes. And I know that about myself. So even though you want to just keep going, if we actually have the same goal in resolving the argument, you need to let me walk away for that 15, 20 minutes and just calm down so I can come back with clarity because when I have clarity, the first thing I ask myself is, does he love you? And I say, yes, of course he loves me. Okay, so if he loves you and he upset you, do you think he meant it? And then I can kind of break it down and really work through it without using my emotion to kind of like blindside the, the real reality of what's actually happening. I love that. All right, you guys work together. We work together. Is there a single nugget of advice that you can give exclusively to me and Rachel as we're trying to, uh, you know, do what you have done so well for so long? I'm going to assume that it's something that has evolved over time as you've figured out how to keep your lanes, you know, your lanes and support each other in your individual strengths, minimize your weaknesses. But is there is there a single thing that you'd say, man, more than anything, you need to. Yeah, I, if, if you're going to make me make it one thing, I would say you need to make sure you remember that your marriage is more important than the business. So even if every single dollar that we've amassed in, you know, spending almost 20 years chasing business, even if every single dollar we'd amassed was on the line, I just need to remember, yeah, it's fine. If, if she makes a decision and it crumbles the business to the ground and it's clear she made a mistake and it ruined the business, I'm never going to say that to her. So she may say, baby, I ruined, like, I mean, can you imagine just being in hysterical tears thinking you were the one that ruined the business? I could see myself doing it, like just feeling unforgivable for having made a poor decision that ended up destroying the business. And let's say that she made a decision that destroyed the business and I had asked her not to make that decision. And then she comes to me at the end of that. And I'm not saying like, I wouldn't be upset, I would, but I would for sure 
even at the height of my anger and upset, I would be like, don't you ever let this touch your self-esteem. Don't you ever for one second think that I love you any less? Like compared to how I feel about you, we had a great run, we had fun. First of all, we're not dead, so we can always try to rebuild anyway. I would, I would think entirely about the longevity of her self-esteem in that moment. And no, it does not do me any good to break her and get her to own that this was her mistake or anything like that. I would just be thinking about, yo, how do I build this person back up? How do I lift them up? Because the business doesn't matter, not compared to the relationship. And I think too many people would be like, it's so hard to build a business and all this money. And oh my God, we're starting from scratch. It's like, I would rather be starting from scratch financially than starting from scratch in my marriage. That is a good word. Can you top that? No, there's no <laughs> way. All right. Uh, this has been a treat. Uh, these humans are real life friends. They are amazing people. If you are not yet following or familiar with them, Tom, Lisa, where can people interact with you on the interwebs? Baby, oh. I think literally every human should follow you. Oh, I agree wow. with that. Wow, thank you. All right, every human that's listening, follow me. <laughs> um, at Lisa Billu on Instagram, and my show on YouTube is um, Women of Impact. Word, and I'm simply at Tom Billu. What is Women of Impact? What is the mission of Women of Impact? What, like, it's like... I know what it is. I want you to. I want you to tell her. Oh, thank you. Um, well, because of my journey, having gone from um, thinking I was going to be a stay-at-home wife and my evolution and really discovering myself and all the things that we've been talking about on this podcast, um, and I've gone through a lot of health issues. So there's a lot of aspects of my life that I never really shared. And in meeting more and more women, I've started to realize which. I think every woman, if you're listening, like you're not alone. Like that's the truth. Everyone always thinks they're alone. And so I thought I was alone in like, oh my God, I'm the first woman on earth to decide I'm not gonna have children, right? Like things like that I really struggled with. And as I talked to more and more people, they were like, oh my God, me too. You really helped me with this. And even though I had no intention of ever being in front of the camera, I was always the supportive, you know, we built impact theory with Tom in front of the camera. I felt like I was doing a disservice by not sharing because I was uncomfortable on being in front of the camera. And I really asked myself, Lisa, are you willing to not help people because you're worried about your ego, about being in front of the camera, you're worried about, and I was like, that's, that's just, just a stupid reason to not do it. Um, now I won't do things my whole life if I don't enjoy it. I think that, you know, we've got limited time on this earth, so make the most of it. Um, and so I was like, hey, I'll try it and I'll see if I like it. And I happen to now love it. So, um, <laughs> Tell I, people what it is, yeah, exactly. I, thank you, actually. Um, so I have a show where I interview just incredible people, incredible women about their story. Because, again, just like myself, I've, um, these women have all had struggles. And I, growing up, I used to look at women on the big screen and think they've got the perfect life. And I think it's more powerful to hear that they actually don't have the perfect life. And they've struggled and they've fallen. But they keep getting back up to then create the life they want. And so that's really my mission to show every single woman, um, no matter what age, that they really are the hero of their own life and not to wait for somebody. Cause that was another thing I waited for a guy to come along, my Prince Charming. And the truth is we all have it within ourselves. And she's also doing, um, female led storytelling. So both from the creative side, uh, and from the actual characters are, you know, just women-based stories, girl-based stories that are really phenomenal. I cannot wait because she has a very unique voice. It's not your typical voice. Um, so it'll be, I'm super excited for people to see the kind of stories she's telling. Thank you. Yeah. Producing a female graphic novel called The Wish Academy. It's a 
for about 11 to 15 year old young girls to really impact by showing like cool badass women. Change this world, y'all. <laughs> Tom, Lisa, thank you for joining us. Everyone, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Rise Together podcast. If you like this episode, share this episode with every human being you've ever known in your entire life. Put it into your social feeds. Tag me, tag Tom, tag Lisa, and tell us what you thought of the episode. We will be back. And when I say we, I mean me and Miss Rachel Hollis next week for another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Thanks for joining, y'all. Have a great week.